I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Playing Footsie podcast. Today, we've got me, Briscoe, Steve W, and Steve D. Uh, lots of different topics to talk about today. Lots of different growth. Lots of news that we'll get to. And also, a game by me. Uh, one of the biggest pieces of news that we've got this week is that we hit 500 subscribers. And I'm trying to be really excited about this because I've recorded it three times. Because <laughs> 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 I'm a crap internet connection. Uh, but yes, uh, 500 subscribers. Woo! Yay! Uh, so thank you to everybody who's like su- subscribed to us and listening to us on the podcast. And all the five-star reviews we've been getting lately. And all the questions that have been coming in. Uh, for that midweek footsie thing we've started doing. Um, yeah ask us the questions we we have fun just like uh tearing ourselves apart and trying to figure out how to answer these um steve d and steve w with me today as always uh to talk about the weekend stocks and uh how you guys been have you been up to much and uh what's your weekend stocks been like this is the third time you've asked this paul you know full bloody well how my week's been (laughs) (laughs) i know I've had a really nice week for the people that don't get the benefit of hearing the first two goes at this. I was away in Cornwall for a week. Uh, I had a really nice time eating clotted cream that I put into burgers uh, because I really like Gusto boxes and that's the thing that they taught me how to do. Uh, people are gamely laughing along at this, even though I've already said this before. The week in stocks has been pretty good as well. Um, there's been a few interesting sort of movements to the downside in things that I either own or I'm looking at. So Boston Beer's dropped a little bit because management's pulled guidance. Biogen, um, there's a delay on the rollout of their new Alzheimer's drug, which appears to have caused a bit of market movement downwards. Alibaba's moving downwards with other Chinese stocks. ASOS has had a bit of a hit as well. Beyond Meat's down as well. We might talk about that a little bit later. I don't own all of those, but they're all kind of interesting sort of short-term uh, downward moves that are kind of catching my eye at the moment. Yeah, I can sort of feel the uh, feel the excitement in our voices after we've recorded this three times, so... <laughs> Don't worry about this. We'll we'll move on pretty quickly. Uh, my week has been pretty weird. Uh, I've lost about a grand. Um, I think a lot of people who have a similar investing style than me might have had their worst week in stocks recently, as we've seen a weird sort of shift very quickly to speculative and growth again, and maybe even a bit of meme, I'm not sure. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just going to be one of the things I think you've got to take the rough with the smooth sometimes. Uh, Steve what have you been doing this week? Um, pretty busy week for me. Um, I was off Monday and Tuesday, so um, I didn't get to look at the markets too much. But um, I've had a pretty positive start to the week, and it sort of tailed off on Wednesday. And today's been a bit hit and miss. We've had some of the smaller positions have done really well. The bigger positions have done not so well. Um, a couple of the things we've talked about on the uh, on the podcast, just for example, GoodRx, Humasite. Proterra, Silvergate Capital have all done really, really well today. So if you researched and bought, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm well. I'm waiting for Humusite. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wait for Humusite. I think that's coming back down. We're gonna wait for I fifty. <laughs> I don't know yet. I, we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I haven't really got a price on it yet, but I, I want it probably under 
Probably in the 10, actually, thinking about it. We'll see. It, it might do. It's the SPACs. The SPACs are everywhere, aren't they? Right, we're going to get into the game today because this game today is done by me. So we have no clue what's going to happen. And the quality is probably going to be a lot lower than normal weeks. And these guys are excited to figure out it, uh, what the game is. And I'm going to call this. I'm going to make the, the name off the top of my head. Something to do with exposure. I was going. Oh, here we but, go. Uh, <laughs> it's something like don't expose <laughs> don't expose yourself too much that's the game that i'm uh that i'm, that I'm going for L this week let me just uh, is, let me just upload this uh, car crash sound effect because i feel like we may need to use it a few times yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm feeling this one i'm feeling this could a bit we'll we'll see we'll see because i i think i made this up uh on a plane somewhere in uh and oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Bye, my cops. Uh, right, no, standard format, though. Standard format, one to ten. You pick a number, and you basically be choosing between two random figures that I that we're going to come up. That's kind of our standard playing footsie style uh, game here. But it's, but it's all based around exposures of companies to certain sectors. So there'll be sort of certain things, and this is all based on information from the Genuine Impact app. Um, which I found very easy to use to to get these. And there's a on the genuine impact app. There's like a little sections where it can it breaks down um, every company's revenue uh, into into different sectors, and uh, you can compare companies against each other on that. And it's it's quite useful for doing this. And there were a couple of little things. Basically, I've got two questions in there that this is based off, and then I thumbed in the rest of the other eight, and you just have to play the game. <laughs> so uh, feel free to play at home. Let me know how you've done, and if it was uh, better than Steve D's or Steve W's normal games. <laughs> right, so I'm going to go with Steve D. You can go first. Pick a number between one and ten. Lucky number seven. Lucky number seven goes for first. Okay, so this one is based around insurance and investment and we have oh this is one of the ones i thumbed in basically so uh have fun with this one according to genuine impact this week uh who out of legal and general has the highest sell rating uh from the analysts who who out of legal and general was there not another Le option i'm sorry legal and general and aviva oh, i'm such a fucking oh idiot. sorry i thought maybe you had to choose between legal or general <laughs> I was uh, fairly confident so, I was going to win that one at that point. Uh, <laughs> so legal, legal in general and Aviva both have sell, uh, quite heavy sell ratings at the moment. Who has the highest sell rating? I will go with Aviva. Uh, can you give me a big cross on that one, please? Uh, I can. <laughs> no. No. Oh. Technical difficulties, as usual. So I'll go, ah, ah. Legal in general currently has a 15% sell rate. There we go. Woof, that one blew me out. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who's just crashed their car. Um, <laughs> after that, um, um, we, we, we mourn your loss. We mourn your loss. Um, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Legal in general has a, has a, a sell rating of 15% and uh, Aviva a sell rating of 5%. So uh, that leaves you down. So Steve W., so, so the, uh, the the answer was legal in general, just for when this cuts out and we do the game again. So I know <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah when you have to change the potato attached to your router. <laughs> uh, okay, number 10, please, Paul. 
Number 10. This is probably another one I thumbed in. Okay, right. <laughs> large mining stocks. We have Anglo-American and Rio Tinto, uh, who are large mining stocks who are known for their iron ore production. However, according to their, bo- according to their revenue uh, breakdowns on Genuine Impact, who has the most exposure to copper? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know anything about Anglo-American. I know Rio Tinto's got a bit of copper exposure, uh, and they like to talk about it quite a bit as well, I think, because people are quite bullish on copper at the moment. Uh, That's kind of tricky. Rio Tinto is an amount that could be more or less from a kind of unknown like Anglo-American, but let's try Rio Tinto. Uh, So that's a... Once again, this is a very interesting one that you went there, because... (laughs) <laughs> I haven't done a lot of work on Anglo-American either, and this got me to have a look a bit further. And I found that Anglo-American is actually quite diversified, quite heavily diversified. Uh, 23.2% uh, exposed to copper compared to Rio Tinto's 12.2%. Uh, and Rio Tinto has a lot more iron ore revenue coming in. But Anglo-American has a little bit too much exposure to coal. So that was one of the reasons why I don't think anyone would have looked at that because that's just something that just completely turns me off. Uh, So nil-nil so far, which is pretty good. We're going okay. Sounds about Uh, right. Yeah, Steve D, you're up next. I'll go with number nine. Number nine. Okay, home builders, US home builders, because I couldn't find a lot of information on genuine impact about UK home builders. Uh, we both know that Lennar Corp and Do- uh, Dr. Horton, no, Dr. <laughs> Horton, the two, the two biggest home, home builders in America, really, at the moment. And we've been looking at them quite a lot recently on the, the uh, podcast. Uh, we know that we build homes. We know they make most of their money off homes. But which one of them is most exposed to their own financial mortgage system? Oh, that's a tough question. I think they've both got pretty decent sized mortgage divisions. Um, and I seem to remember that you said Lennar had a very big mortgage division, but I kind of remember looking and finding out that, that Dr. H had an even bigger one. So off the top of my head, I'm going to just, there's something in there that's telling me Dr. H has the bigger mortgage division. Oh, that was a good uh, iffy, but, um, yeah, you're right. And What I was surprised with here, because I did a lot more digging on this one as well, it's actually really small. The mortgage, the mortgage exposure on both these companies is actually really, really small. Four percent on Lenar Corp and uh, Dr. Horton, two point nine percent. I bet the seller. So, I I bet. Yeah, I think they do as well. I think that I think it's going to be more of a. uh, like a, a, a mortgages by Dr. Horton rather than something like that. You know, it's, they're going to be a third third party yeah. bit to it. Uh, I need to do a bit more on that because I did quite like that they had their exposures to mortgages. But it's nice to know that it's so small. Uh, right. So next up, uh, Steve W. Let's see what you've yeah. got. Yeah. So trying to find somewhere your thumbs haven't been. Let's try number two. <laughs> number two semiconductors i couldn't go a week without talking about asml versus kla could i uh so uh, we've, got the, we... <laughs> 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 we've got we've got semiconductors going really well today in fact today they did really well i think uh with both asml and kll up this is our thursday this week uh but down to their both over there, uh, down to both of their ex, uh, exposure to Taiwan, 
who is the most exposed to Taiwan and probably therefore Taiwan Semiconductor? Who provides the most of their revenue to them? Cool. I know. We've gone, gone pretty hard this week, ain't we? <laughs> yeah, happily. There's only two options. I feel like I must be able to get one eventually. Um, <laughs> so, most exposed to Taiwan. So, when we think about ASML and we think about KLA, we think about a sort of fairly general thing against a fairly specific kind of thing, I guess. So, when I think of KLA, I think of them as kind of a, a part of the uh, process rather than covering sort of a, a more broadly like ASML does. So now for my extensive knowledge of Taiwan deploying this. Um, <laughs> what I was going to point out, actually, which I have forgotten, is that a lot of these companies aren't necessarily the same in the same sector or making the same product because ASML and KLA mm. don't do the same product. But I wanted to sort of test the exposure yeah. that they have because there's a big story about ASML not being able to uh, put anything out that way. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> I dislike this. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to stick with my original kind of instinct here, which was before I even heard what the question was, and you just told me the answers were going to be ASML and KLA. I thought, Paul is <laughs> desperately going to try and find something here uh, that is going to win the day for KLA, regardless of, I don't know what number is coming out or what fact is coming out here, but he can't, he can't be digging his own ASML grave here, can he? Um, which one's more exposed to Taiwan? Let's say it's ASML. It is. ASML is much more exposed to, uh, to Taiwan with 34.8% of its revenue coming from Taiwan. And KLA is 24.4% uh, exposed to Taiwan. Uh, I would say, though, that's in ASML's favor. If, I, if I'm honest, I had this as a double bluff because I thought you were going to think I was going to go try and do some positive KLA stuff. But uh, yeah. But you couldn't uh, find any. So yeah. ASML is. <laughs> What's the shit a semiconductor style company? <laughs> They're both going up. They're both going up. God, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next up. Uh, uh, number eight. Number eight. Number eight. Oh, FinTech? Yeah, this is FinTech. The new big disruptors who also dabbling other things, uh, PayPal and Square, uh, PayPal notably uh, released um, Bitcoin buy, uh, buying on um, on PayPal recently. Uh, so, who is most exposed? Um, oh, that's it. Who gets most of their transaction revenue? Uh, who is most exposed to their transaction revenue? So, what part of the business makes up more transaction revenue for PayPal and Square? Oh, is this a percent question? It is a percent. Oh, so I, I think that PayPal has a lot more revenue than Square and is more new to Bitcoin. And I seem to remember when Square started to take on Bitcoin that their revenue jumped really, really quickly. So on that, I'm going to say that I think Square, and I bet you Square's got about getting on for 55 to 60% on crypto at the moment. So what are you saying? You're saying that PayPal has more in transaction revenue than Square does? Yeah. Oh, is it not, sorry, is it not exposed to Bitcoin? No, it's not exposed to Bitcoin. Oh, right, sorry. Uh, yes, PayPal definitely has more revenue, transaction revenue than Square, surely. Yes, this is uh, one of the ones that I thought you would be able to deduce quite easily, uh, and also I got to point to, I get to point out a really funny part of what's going on. PayPal currently makes ninety two percent 
of its revenue from uh, transaction revenue compared to Square, which makes 34% of its revenue in transactions. Uh, that's compared to 48.1% that they make from Bitcoin. Well, I'd have been close. Uh, so, yeah, you were pretty good. You were really good at uh, uh, figuring that one out. But uh, it just goes to show that Square is so far behind in transaction revenue right now. Hmm. Um, and that's compared to all of the others as well, near MasterCard, Visa, all of them going on. And it was just a very interesting fact that I saw on there. Uh, so it's one all. Do I make it? Does anyone two one. Make it one? No, I make it 2-1 to Steve. Yeah. Hang <laughs> on, where's that car crash? <laughs> 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 I make right. it 2-1 to Steve but I think he's had one more question than me that's so right <laughs> alright <laughs> go for it Steve W oh my Six, god please I can't, keep my head, I can't keep my head together oh it's a speculation one um, right this, this is one I thumbed in definitely thumbed in <laughs> so we don't speculate too much on here but we've got probably got two favourite stocks particularly me and uh, Steve D have two favourite stocks on here uh, in Transmedics and Nanox Imaging <laughs> but who out of uh according to genuine impact who out of nanox and uh tmdx has the highest buy rating from analysts hmm Ooh. uh <laughs> by highest buy rating does that mean more analysts think it's a buy or they have like yes a... okay yes. um let's try then suggesting that Nanox is covered by more analysts and therefore might have more buy ratings on it. So let's try Nanox. Interesting. Steve D, just get your opinion on this. Yeah, one. I would have gone think? with Transmedics just because it's a bit feathered on the line, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. So uh, Nanox is the winner at 80% versus 60% to TMDX. Uh, it's worth noting that actually they both have the same amount and it's a very small amount of analysts at five analysts each. So <laughs> yeah. these guys are just balls. They're just balls that are, that are predicting. What I wanted to point out here is that's what the, what what it is. These are these are analysts. They're actually just interested in this company, and it shows the bias sometimes of analysts. I thought, and I uh, just found that when you've got five looking at it, they're all coming up at a buy. No one's a sell. There's a couple of holds in there, and that's about it. That's why you get the sixty and eighty percent. But yeah, oh, we're neck and neck, are we? Very very nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number one. Uh, number one, let's take a look at number one. Ah, this is probably the reason why I made this game, because <laughs> I came across a very interesting stat. This is big tech cloud uh, services. So, name the two, who are the two big tech cloud companies who I'm going to think? Just guess. Uh, oh, Microsoft? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say <laughs> Amazon and, and Microsoft, as you are, I was going to say. Yeah, I'm going to go I with, was going to say that as well. Go, I'm going to go with Amazon and uh, Google. Amazon and oh, Alphabet right now. So we've got Amazon uh, AWS services, and we've got the uh, Google Cloud. Who, out of Amazon and Google, is gains more of their <laughs> revenue from uh, either Google Cloud or AWS? <laughs> this one might surprise you. I would guess here that Steve is going to say Amazon, because when we asked who the two big cloud things were, he didn't say Google. But... I thought Google was quite, quite, <laughs> quite well fed. But I would assume, off the top of my head... You own both of these, right? Well, yeah, but I would... Off the top of my head, Amazon makes a hell of a lot more revenue, doesn't it? So, we're talking, are we talking percentage of makeup here? Is that what it is? 
think yeah, this is a percentage. Yeah, their total is their total exposure yeah. to uh, Google. Cloud Google's going to be yeah, because Amazon makes like five hundred billion, but makes like six pence in profit, doesn't it? So, I w- yeah, Google. I'm going Google. Lovely stuff. That is right, but not by what by the margin that you're thinking. Google uh, makes up eleven point nine percent of its revenue from uh, Google Cloud, and AWS makes up eleven point eight percent. It's really, really close. Yeah, AWS uh, more established. Google doesn't earn as much revenue, so that's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, it's um, mm. it's yeah. Obviously, Google makes a lot more revenue from its uh, from its advertising business, but it's, it was just very interesting to see that they're on a similar plane. They're they're allocating X amount, this same amount. Uh, to the cloud, uh, both companies are. I just thought that was quite interesting. Hmm. Uh, next up, then three two. Uh, oh, I thought the score was seven six. Okay, uh, number four, please. <laughs> <laughs> number four, brown beverages. Uh, brown, bev- brown beverages in Pepsi and Coca Cola. What do I want oh. to know is who is more exposed to the US? Hmm. As in, who gets more of their revenue out of the US? Yeah. From like the US. Percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would suggest I think that might be Pepsi then. Yes, yeah, Sam. Lovely stuff. Quite an easy one, I thought. Uh, Pepsi, 58% of their revenue comes from the US, and Coca-Cola, only 34% of their revenue. It is kind of close, but it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I thought it was quite an obvious one. Uh, numero right. five. Numero five. Uh, oh, this is another pretty. Oh, this is probably quite hard. I, I went through ETFs as well. I decided to take a look at the iShares Core ETF of the S and P 500, and the uh, Vusa ETF, our favourite one here in England. Um, well, the S and P 500 favourite in in England. Uh, believe it or not, these these two ETFs are not a hundred percent exposed to the S and P 500. Uh, who, out of both of those two? Uh, ETFs is more exposed to the US. Yeah. Um, so it's Vusa and towards the other one. Uh, the iShares version. The uh, iShares. The same, same sort of thing. It's, I, I find it amazing, number one, that they're not exposed to the US as much as you think they are, and also that they're quite different. Because um, they have cash in them or something. That's what I was thinking, yeah. I'm thinking it must be bonds. Or... It must be cash and bonds. It must be cash and bonds. But still, why would you hold cash in other countries? I don't understand it. Um, I Well, then, VUS is denominated in pounds, isn't it? Maybe so they hold some pounds. So I'm going to go for the iShares version, which I hope is not denominated in pounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's my deduction. <laughs> it, it, it is denominated in pounds. It makes absolutely no difference. Bollocks. But... You are right. You are right. iShares, well done, Steve. iShares ETF has uh, 96% exposure to the uh, S&P 500. That's uh, that's in comparison to the 95% that uh, Vusa is. I haven't checked what the other exposure is, but it could be absolutely God, anything as far as I stuff? can tell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who thinks? Oh, uh, see I how think... exposed that S and P ETF is to the US. <laughs> this... oh, if only I... there was some podcast that covered ETFs recently that could have told us about this thing. <laughs> right. Uh, what's left? Uh, is there only one left? Yeah. Yep. Number three, I think. Yep. Oh, number three. So, uh, no, it's not number three, is it? It's definitely not number three. Number. F- it is. Uh... You've read the wrong question. Oh, it is. Is it? Okay, uh, let me get that car crash sound. 
<laughs> it's all very tight on here. Okay, uh, last one then. Uh, greenwashing. Uh, the greenwashing title, which I wrote down. Which company is more exposed or gains more of their revenue from renewable energy? Renewable energy company Tesla or renewable energy company General Electric? Okay. Obviously, um, these aren't, aren't directly in the same place, but uh, it's interesting that they're both highlighted these as two revenue streams yep uh, i would i would reckon that you probably selected those two for an interesting uh, sort of reason here there's going to be something that's not screamingly obvious about this i guess <laughs> I, I don't think i know this one but i wonder whether i can co-opt steve to help me here because if i get this right it's a draw and i bet paul hasn't got a tiebreaker so <laughs> <laughs> um what do you reckon steve <laughs> um i don't know what General Electric actually do in terms of They green. make turbines and the like, and I assume that has mm. to do with what they would consider their green energy um, arm. And I know Berkshire Hathaway buy a lot of their turbines and so on off General Electric. Yeah. I don't know quite what else they do. Well, is, I mean, one, they make things like One turbine engines, but... is probably about as much solar panels as Tesla has sold. So are mm. you sure they've sold two turbines? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly sure they've sold two turbines, but I also worry that this might be... And also, hmm, they don't actually have much revenue from anywhere else either because they're, in, they're generally in a bit of strife at the moment. Let's try General Electric. Yeah, I would. Yes, you are correct. This is uh, this is a bit of a fun question. Good, I just good work, Steve. In there. It is just a bit of a fun question in there. Um, we have uh, General Election... Uh, General Election. General Electric... <laughs> Oh, God. General Electric, which is uh, exposed to renewable energy by 19.7%, and Tesla, which is exposed to its renewable energy sector at 6.4%. Uh, so it makes up 6.4 of, of its uh, revenue uh, goes to renewable energy. This is the renewable energy company Tesla that obviously makes over 90% of its money from motor vehicles. Um this uh, brings it to a draw, does it? No? It does, yep. yeah. That's, that's a draw. It's four it each does. after quite a slow start. Oh, because Briscoe's got a tiebreaker. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> it's a pretty... That goes on a long time. It's a pretty it? simple one. And to be fair, this seems like a bit of an advert for Genuine Impact, to be honest with you. Um, but Genuine Impact has this rating system where it basically goes through all of the stocks that it's got on its system and it ranks them from one to a million or whatever it is. So, according to Genuine Impact right now, who does what stock does Genuine Impact rate as the number one most Ooh. undervalued stock in the Love entire it. world? Ooh, uh, okay. Let's have a look. Uh, what happens if neither of us gets it, by the way? Do you just... I'm going to go by alphabetical, if you're close to alphabetical. Fuck me. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go with Al okay, maybe... Albert on the end. <laughs> Off from the Dutch. Because that's got two ears. <laughs> Off over um... to you, Steve. <laughs> right. I, uh, I, I got to get it then, right? So this for the money. Um, most undervalued stock... On in, no, it's in the like world, basically, right? It, you know, if it's a company that starts with a G, if you've picked a H or a something, you're closer. Mm. Oh, okay. I seem to have snookered myself with oh, that. I, see. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. maybe we could get the Genuine Impact app and just see who picks a lower-numbered one, but never mind. 
That's a, that's a good idea. That'd be very hard to find, though, because it's massive. <laughs> and okay. Paul would need two um... sources of internet. <laughs> yeah, uh... I've, tur- I've turned off the Wi-Fi on my phone so it doesn't interfere, you know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go. Well, I'm happy to have a guess, Paul. Go for it. Uh, I'm going to suggest Alibaba. Ooh, I- I'm going to go with uh, some kind of smoking company I think is probably quite likely. So I will go for uh, something like... Uh, I'll go for British American Tobacco. Why not? They seem quite high up. Uh, that'd, be my, that'd be my smoking company of choice. Mm. But Yeah. <laughs> I'd, you know what? I'm going to give this away to Steve D because I love his thinking on this one. I think you were thinking in the right direction. It's actually ExxonMobil uh, who they oh. think is the... Uh, number one most inv- undervalued stock. Uh, but we'll give that to Steve D just because he was in the right ballpark of the, the thinking and valuation on that one. So there you go, Steve D. Well done. You've won the game that I just cobbled together uh, <laughs> while thinking about other things. <laughs> well, I thought that was a really good game, actually. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was It was better than Bitcoin or uh, Shitcoin. <laughs> I stand behind Bitcoin or shitcoin. Thank you very much. I think that was an excellent game. Um, <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Let's let's move on. Let's move on to the news of the week. Um, what we'll start off with first. Um, we've got to talk about it, haven't we? The tax changes in the UK uh, have, have occurred this week. So, um, what are we thinking? What's Steve W? What's happened? Well, I mean, we always talk... The reason we don't talk about the FTSE that much on this is because FTSE and the UK never seems to really be at the forefront of anything. Um, but now that it is. Uh, the UK is pretty much taking the lead, I think, ahead of, say, Europe or the States in working out how it's going to pay for all this COVID stuff uh, that we've been uh, basically having to use stimulus money to sort out businesses, to fund the NHS and various reasons. And, of course, that has to be paid for eventually. And here's how it's going to get at least partly paid for. It's going to get paid for at least partly by an increase in taxes, and specifically an increase in taxes on people's dividends. So if you're the kind of person who currently pays taxes on dividends, by which I mean they're not in an ISA and your dividend allowance is lower than the amount that you receive in dividends, you're going to pay more of it from 2022. You're specifically going to pay, I think, 1.25% more of it. Uh, so if you're a basic rate taxpayer, i.e. your taxes, uh, your income is around 50000 or so, or uh, up to 50000 you'll start paying 8.75% on any dividends that qualify. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, so between 50000 and 150000 in taxable income, you'll pay 33.75%. And if you're higher than that, you'll go up to 3935 Dividend taxes are going up. Um, this doesn't affect me particularly because... I don't make enough money that isn't hidden in an ISA, and as is so often the way with the UK, uh, the way to avoid it is just hide all your dividend-paying things in an ISA if you can. But uh, you guys have different dividend considerations to me, so over to you guys, I guess. Uh, yes, yeah, so it does. It's sort of a double whammy for me because obviously there's a national insurance rise hidden in there as well. So um, there is um, they, they've advertised it as 1.25 percent, which sounds sounds quite fine, but it's actually a 10 percent increase in your national insurance tax when you actually um, add it on. It's actually 1.25 percentage points, um, but um, that's fair enough, I guess. Um, I think generally I'm I'm getting taxed twice. So I should feel really upset about it. But I actually think that the the if the reason they are taxing us is as they say it is to fund social care, then it's actually quite admirable what they're doing. It's long since been um, a, a bit of an issue, really, in that we have 
overpaid for social care, especially as people are getting older as well. So it, it is a long-term protection against, you know, people's assets disappearing to absolutely nothing. And, uh, you know, I've always talked about dignity in retirement. So I'm not overly, I'm not happy about it. I don't think you can ever be happy about being taxed more, but I, I think I can get on board with the, the change. What do you think, Paul? There's a couple of things to this. I mean, oh, kind of want to avoid the political angle of it, but I know I'm going to go down that rabbit hole at some point. But um, this uh, national insurance hike, obviously a bit of a problem. It's actually a 10% rise, and it's a 1.25% uh, raise in your national insurance. NHS workers are only going up 2%, and that's uh, still behind inflation. And it's a bit of a kick in the balls, if I'm honest, uh, that they're saying that it's going to go to the NHS uh, to cure the backlog and things like that. Um, but it's not actually going to anybody in there. Uh, and I don't count. I don't really think about myself in that. I think about nurses and things like that who are really struggling and they do such a hard, hard job. I really do think that. Um, but also social care as well. How the, with social care? you know talking nursing homes and things like that it's it's almost better to not have any assets and just let yeah. the government pay for it uh but what's happening in that is it's such a privately run or like organization that i don't know it's it, the margins aren't aren't great everything's being stuffed down you see i see personally see care workers all day every day really really struggling to keep up with these people and they are hard work really really hard work um i don't know it's it's not that it's enough it's that i don't know what the answer is and I, like you i i'd say i'm happy to pay more tax as long as it's going to the right place and not the private pockets of the managers of these care homes or the owners of these care homes which is where unfortunately i think it'll go i can't see the care level going up i just see i just see it as another way to help everybody's friends really and that's that's my political view right let's 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 like just get it out of the way however from the dividend point of view, uh, I have everything in dividends. I make sure that I never pay a single dividend into any other account, including if I you know, own a business or anything and I pay myself a dividend. I won't go over the tax threshold either in that. Um, but uh, with mine in the ISA, it doesn't affect me that much. However, what I am concerned with is whether this is going to cause dividend paying companies to pay less dividends. So it's all about shareholder return. It's all about returning uh, capital to, you know, the managers themselves, the CEOs and the, the CFOs of these companies do think about that because they, they want to return capital to themselves. So I do wonder if this does put more pressure, especially in the FTSE 100, which is a big dividend paying uh, index, whether that's going to put more pressure to start reducing dividends. And I don't have a problem particularly with dividends. I, I would never say personally that, you know, I will talk about dividend growth and stuff like that, but I, I don't see it as the single way to compounding our wealth. I just see the correlation between dividend paying companies and dividend growth paying companies and say they have uh, historically be beaten the market. And that's where I kind of see high cash flow companies. And that's where I like to invest. That makes me comfortable to invest in that way. Uh, but it does make me think that, okay, are we now going to see more of a shift from because something's going to happen in America as well. They're going to have the same story in America. 
are we going to start seeing a bit of a shift from dividends to share buybacks? And that's what's something that I was more interested in with this story. And I'd love to hear what you guys just think off the cuff on that one. Uh, to be honest, I think um, the problem you're going to have is that uh, the sort of Biden administration are all very wise to this as well. So I think you'll find that um, they've already mentioned that companies who suppress the profits by buying a hell of a lot of their stock are going to come under mm. the same, um, the same, you know, tax changes that everyone else is. Just to quickly sort of hark back to what you were saying, um, Elliot, they had to raise the tax on dividends in UK because if you create an imbalance in the taxation where you get taxed more for, um, you know, if there's a tax increase on being paid your income via uh, PAYE, then of course people will just pay more dividends because it gets around the tax. So it's one of those sad facts of um, creating a balance, essentially. Um, but it is it is interesting that it's a very anti-Tory um, policy in a way, I guess. Um, it, it, I suppose it's to a degree that the, the tax is, is fair and spread out is quite Tory, but but the fact that it's a tax rise at all is, is definitely interesting. It's definitely a policy uh, break, but I think you've got to be fair to Boris when, when he said... Um, Nobody, nobody had the pandemic in the manifesto. Is fair yeah, enough? That's it. Isn't that's it, it and that, that's the really it, isn't it? It's a, it's just shit, but it, it is what it is, isn't it? So, yeah, with the um, share buybacks thing, I, I've always wondered if they, if particularly the U.S. government, are going to try and figure out a way to tax share buybacks in some way, and uh, it, it does feel like it's start, uh, starting. I did read uh, as. A familiar article that said this and uh, I, I just don't see how they're going to do it because if they did do it they would have to change quite a lot of investment law really in that in that way share buybacks are always an interesting kind of political football over in the US I mean partly because they can be done for the right reasons and they can be done for the wrong reasons uh, much like dividends to be honest um, we mm -hmm. are all critical of companies who pay dividends when we really think they ought not to be they ought to be using the money to service debt or they ought to be reinvesting to grow their company or something like that we all think there's a right time and a wrong time to dividend out your um, earnings we also think there's a right time and a wrong time to buy back your shares and so on and it seems like politically this is a fairly insensitive sort of issue uh, for the US they, they get very or Elizabeth Warren out there gets very very um, <laughs> uh, concerned about people who just want to buy back their own uh, shares so their share price goes higher so they get paid a bigger bonus uh, and there's there's something the matter with that idea uh, the idea that you buy back shares regardless of whether it's in the interest of the company to do it because your bonus is linked to it I have a lot of sympathy with that idea but that's not always the case and a kind of broad brush approach to buying back shares would penalise people doing it when they ought to, um, as well as when they ought not to. Steve's point about balance to me is the right one here. I mean, if we're if companies are trying to work out the most tax efficient way to return money to their shareholders, that might be via a buyback or it might be via a dividend. If there's no kind of corresponding move in, say, capital gains tax in the UK, uh, that would make a case for um, dividends now being less attractive than they were before. I mean, if it's accompanied by a similar or related sort of move in capital gains it probably wouldn't make much difference you would get taxed one way or another i guess yeah that was it i i, I always come to the end and i go well if they're being bought on uh share buybacks are going back then the tax is being paid on capital gains unless you're in an isa or a roth ira or something like that so it's yeah it's an interesting one 
to think about. Uh, and it's ju- it was just something with the hike, particularly in the FTSE 100. Maybe it is also a little bit of a little bit of a nudge to te- to investors to start investing in local FTSE AIM tech companies because we've got a couple. We've got a couple going on. Um, all right, we'll leave that there because that was quite a big bit of news this week, and uh, we've got c- quite a few stocks we want to talk about as well. Um, I don't really know where to start with this one. Uh, we haven't really talked about Boston Brew enough. You, you talked a, a little bit about it, and uh, I think um, just uh, highlight what's happened to them this week, um, and just uh, see what's going on. What's going on with their share price? So their share price went down today on the basis of news from management uh, that they firstly pulled their guidance for this year. So at their recent kind of earnings call, they lowered their uh, growth estimates on earnings, I think, down from about 40% down to about 20%, which is still decent growth, actually, for what it's worth. I mean, you would think 20% growth is a, is a reasonable effort from a company, especially in a defensive sector like Boston Beer. Um, but the market didn't like that very much. It was trading on quite a high multiple and it came crashing down a fair bit. Uh, having seen that the um, management have now pulled guidance entirely um, and have also admitted they're going to have to take, I think, impairment charges um, based on stock that they're currently holding that they're not going to be able to sell or don't anticipate being able to sell anytime soon, as well as third-party charges. The markets moved them down again from there. They went down 7% today and bounced back to being about 3% down or so. But uh, a couple of big moves downwards for them based on fairly gentle kind of news, I think. But it, it shows the way I think people think about this company in a certain but way. Is this, is this a value correction or is it, uh, a, you know, a, a genuine proper correction that should have happened? I think it's a growth story that appears to not be a story anymore. So Boston yeah. Beer had been doing very, very well in hard seltzers, which is basically alcoholic water. Uh, I don't know where... I'd be surprised if this is either of your things. It's not really mine either. But it is cool, um, apparently. People tell me a this bit, sort of thing. I, I will say I've been seeing a lot of hard seltzer talk at uh, a lot of weddings I've been to recently. Uh, mm. which seems to be the the hot topic. And they're a big deal uh, in hard seltzer. But the trouble is, uh, there's currently a view that the steam seems to be coming out of that hard seltzer uh, movement at the moment. And if that slows down, Boston Beer are disproportionately exposed to that. Uh, It will probably mean their margins go up a little bit because they don't just make hard seltzers. They also make beers and hard ciders and so on. Uh, But their big kind of growth vehicle and the reason that they were trading at about 45 times earnings at one stage or so, was because they were supposed to be growing hard in the hard seltzer area. Uh, That's not going to happen, or at least management is now saying that's not going to happen. They're Mm -hmm. expecting EPS for this year of just under $18. And with where they currently are, that's still about a 30 multiple, which is quite a lot for... uh, There's a lot to like about Boston Beer. It doesn't have any debt. It's fairly well run. Um, They do a good job of getting ahead of trends and so on. But this is, I think, fairly uncontroversially sort of bad news for them. I had a look on Morningstar, who have completely pulled their rating on it and are reconsidering what they think its fair value should be. The problem here is that they've, it basically is that it's shown off a little bit of management incompetence, really, that they've dived head on into what was essentially a COVID trend and thought that they could run with it. And the issue with it is, is that they really did overestimate the size of this hard seltzer market and how fast other people would be able to make sparkling alcohol, um, which <laughs> really, when you think about it, it's one of those hindsight 2020 things. When you think about it, you think, well, basically, and a fairly unflavored sparkling alcohol 
it's fairly easy to make. We could probably make it in our back garden, give us enough time. And the issue is with Boston beer is that they're not dealing with people who are making sparkling alcohol in the back garden. They're dealing with massive beer companies with massive um, ability to, to you know, just pivot to something new when, when trends see fit. So, yes, Boston beer is a great company, by the way. I'm, I'm, it's, it's firmly on my watch list at the moment. But the issue here is just shown up a little bit of exuberance and... Uh, and it's kind of shown up really their guide, their ability to to provide decent guidance, I think, as well, which is two two little issues there that um, they're going to be short term problems. They, oh, the the guys at Boston Beer are fairly young; they're going to learn from this. And um, I still think it's a great company going forward. Is it at the right price now? Not entirely sure. Um, I'll just keep watching it for now. I'm interested to see how it does. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I I would have a slightly different view on their management in this in this case that so i thought they were trying to get in first they were trying to be that first mover of the brand of hard seltzer because they they did become the company that was you know it i, I forgot what the the brand is that they have out there but it's it's it, in the u.s that was it they it, basically their name became synonymous with the heart cell hard seltzer name um yeah uh p of like 30 at the moment uh and the historical growth is about 20% year on year, which is, it feels like if, if someone was out there and they, they wanted to look at the Boston uh, beer chart right now, it looks like in the short term, at least that this price is going down quite heavily, but the revenue and the earnings growth is going up at the same time. It feels like that, that Amazon 2008 uh, thing. I think it, I do personally feel the same. I think it's got a little bit of way to go uh, the, to come down to a ni- nice price. But it's but it's there. Um, just to move Ooh, on, just before we do, to the next just before one. we do, um, they are bringing out a brand new drink, which is obviously going to take the world oh, by God, storm, they are, aren't they? And they're, they're working <laughs> with Pepsi to create a hard mountain juice, yep. which uh, which sounds amazing. Um, and I literally <laughs> hope we get it in the UK. I might even start drinking again for that. Just say that product again because I don't think you went. Hard, uh, you went, you hard said. mountain dew. <laughs> hard mountain dew. Yeah. Hard mountain, mountain dew. Mountain dew. Mountain dew is one of my favourite uh, drinks. By the way, I, I absolutely love it. I have no idea why I like that that limey, lemony taste, but I, oh, I love it. Seltzer brand. I can tell whether you're being serious or not. No, I do. No, I really do. I uh, well. I think it. I think it harks back to my time when I like kind of lived in America for a little bit, and and it was all I drank. I thought you were going to say like, oh, I used to drink hooch. But but yeah, I I will I will drink alcoholic Mountain Dew all day, hmm. no problem. <laughs> and I'll, I'll have. Well, no, I will have a problem. That's that's what it'll lead to. I'll have a big problem. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, let's do Beyond Meat because Beyond Meat's been. Uh, I'm I'm looking around. I've seen a lot of different news that's coming out from Beyond Meat. Uh, who wants to lead with that one? Has anyone got anything? No, you haven't got anything you on Beyond Meat. Okay, so. Okay, so uh, Beyond, Beyond Meat releases releases earnings, uh, and it uh, was a bit more flat. I think uh, Beyond Meat is starting to see uh, this slow, uh, slow in growth, and they're realizing that maybe their product's not so unique anymore. Uh, was it their CEO uh, officer? Uh, the CEO uh, got stacked or moved on or something like that, and he was he was quite heavy. He's been in a lot of uh, the famous tech companies. He's been dealing a lot of things. So there's been a lot of bad news coming out for uh, uh, Beyond Meat right now. 
and also, uh, but there has been some good meat, uh, good Beyond Meat uh, news. I'm just looking at my screen right now. Uh, today, as in Thursday, I think Beyond Meat have gone into McDonald's UK and released a Beyond Meat burger in the UK. Mm. So I, for one, will go out if that's out at the moment. I'll check on my McDonald's app in a minute and I'll I'll go out and try it and see what see what the crack is. But they have in, they are definitely improving that that flavor and that taste i think they're even making the burgers a little bit healthier as well so uh there is news there for in for beyond meat but it doesn't seem to be working for them at the moment uh, my issue have you never tried it paul yeah 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 I've, oh yeah i've tried beyond meat it's just okay. fucking expensive isn't it it's it, it's like way too expensive for what it McDonald's? is yeah you know, um, I what's the uh, I had the the only time I felt uh, I felt that it tastes good is I went to a local pub. It's um, one of the chains. I can't remember what it is, Brewers Fair or something. And they have this uh, Beyond Meat Sloppy Joe thing. So basically, what they've got is they've got Beyond Meat Burger, and then they've got corn mince in like a in like a chili sauce, and that tasted great. And I, and at that point, that was the first time mm-hmm. I t- tasted Beyond Burger. And I was like, whoa, this is really, really good. So I went out and bought one and I decided to have it my own little patty with the with the uh, uh, bun on the side. And it tasted like crap. On its own, it tastes like absolute crap. Yep. And that's that's, that's 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 my assessment. That's my assessment too, for what it's worth. I had the burger and it works quite well if you cover it in loads of stuff and shut it between some <laughs> that's bread. What I was thinking. It's probably the best plant-based <laughs> version of it. <laughs> but then I tried getting the sausages and eating them like sausages, and that was quite a bad error, to be honest. Like on yeah, the side of a, a full English, that was an awful idea. See that it's just not working. That's what I was thinking. Corn is when better. it gets to the point where you should have just drank a bottle of barbecue sauce. You're not really enjoying the burger, are you? So no, you're, you're I mean not. it's to, to make the obvious point here. It's it's not a gusto thing, right? It's it's the kind of <laughs> yeah. thing that you wouldn't see in a, in a gusto box, which is obviously high quality link in description stuff. Mm. But... <laughs> Sorry, I, Steve. I, what were you? Gonna I was just going to say that on Gusto this week. There's the garlic. Um, there's the uh, there's the burger with truffle mayo and the garlic butter fries, and uh, you get thirty. Oh, is it back? Yeah, you get, you get thirty percent off your first box when you use our link. Since when have we been sponsored by Gusto? Oh my God, what is this? I'm, I'm sitting here like you guys are getting paid. Good. Like what's, no, what's but... going on? <laughs> But we've got to eat somehow. We're not all YouTube superstars. <laughs> oh my god, my god! Don't get me get me started on that. Um, yeah, but, but beyond me, it's uh, uh, funny that you said that because there was this Sven video where everyone was talking about how how mm. Sven did it, and then, uh, but we're the same. Like I try, I try when if I go shopping or something, I'll try and bring back little burgers and stuff like even as these <clears> burgers or something like that. To, for my missus, she's vegetarian, and I will eat vegetarian. I've got no problem. I just every month or so i really need to just go on a meat fest because i i start hurting or something but um i i bring back stuff like that for her all the time and i end up eating it and i realize that she's not a vegetarian who wants to eat formal formed meat or even burgers in it, like even like sweet corn put stuffed into a burgers or chili or whatever she wants to eat gusto box style like uh meals she wants to cook meals and that's really what vegetarianism is all about. So maybe Tattooed Chef is something that, that touches on that sort of level Fendus. there, maybe. 
Yeah, just like <laughs> the, crispy pancakes. The fin, the Findus, the Findus crispy pancakes of uh, <laughs> of the tech world, apparently. Um, yeah, Tattoo Chef might be one of those ones that that, that stands out. But yeah, um, I'll, I'll try a McDonald's Beyond Meat burger. I'll go out my way to figure it out. But I I really can't see it taking off. I I really didn't. I don't think KFC's burger did very well, did it? Uh, no. I feel as though sort of five minutes ago before I started trying to skewer free food all over the place, Steve wanted to say something about the actual company. Yeah, all I was going to really say <laughs> was that um, I don't. I think the problem with Beyond Meat is, is very similar to the problems that um, Boston Beer are experiencing, that a first mover advantage is not the best thing when it's the only thing you really have. Um, mm. I think the issue they're finding now is they're running into actually the, the sort of things that that differentiate beyond meat don't actually make the food that much tastier so yeah you were here first and yeah you got to scale a lot faster than you know even people like impossible who are probably you'd say arguably the second biggest company and a lot um but but it's not providing them with anything that the customer actually wants and when you're in a sort of a, a sort of consumer industry that they are you have to have real benefits to the, the customer and it, it doesn't have it can't just be um, oh, it looks a bit like a burger, and it sort of tastes like a burger because I mean everybody can do that now, and they've proven that. I mean, he, Sven said in his video that he prefers the spa version, um, and I mean if spa can knock up a burger that he thinks is a better quality burger than Beyond Meat, and it's a fourth of the price, then you're in a hell of a lot of trouble. I'm just, uh, you know, I've just scrolled down a little article that I was looking at uh, earlier, and it breaks down Beyond's Meat, Beyond Meat's uh, market share of the fake meat boom uh and it currently runs 22 percent of the market uh in fake meat uh interestingly enough i've got here tyson foods uh around 22 percent uh impossible foods nine percent and uh 29 percent anyone want to get uh no uh guess who has 29 percent of the market in uh the fake meat boom um this apparently not kellogg's I don't think it's Kellogg's, but they are launching a fake meat. <laughs> it is Kellogg's. It is yeah. Kellogg's. Well done. Uh, no, it is Kellogg's. It definitely is Kellogg's. Um, uh, 29% of the fake meat market goes to Kellogg's, which is uh, something I did not I know didn't about. hear the question because so I was choking. <laughs> Thank you for covering for me. That's all right. Um, Next week, yeah. uh, in your Gusto box, you'll see the cornflakes burger. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be nice. Uh, but yeah, uh, beyond, beyond me, uh, stupid valuation. I don't even want to look at it. But since its IPO, uh, it is down 50%. 47% of that has come in late 2020 and 21. So this, I mean, I'm looking at this um, downtrend right now on Beyond Me, and that's looking scary. That uh, From a technical analysis, analysis point of view, that looks like a scary downtrend for Beyond Me right there. Um yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, it looks like AT&T share price over the past five years, by the way. Uh, we need a crystal ball so, every time you do technical analysis. Steve and I could just bring up like a plasma ball. When... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, te technical analysis. Ooh, I, I need the line says down. <laughs> <laughs> up and to the right, mm. I think, is the one I keep hearing. I'm going, what the hell? Up and to the right. Everything's up to the right. Um, Kellogg's, right, isn't uh, it? Kellogg's is just to the right. <laughs> Just to the right, just to the right forever, always continuing. Uh, right, okay, we're, I think we've got a Steve D special on for our last <coughs> stock uh, of the day. 
Uh, it is uh, a FTSE IPO, I believe. It is, yes. Uh, uh, get yourself started. Quite a, quite a big one, really, but um, it's sort of following on from um, our midweek video, which was on IPOs. Um, we got some really interesting suggestions, by the way. I'll just read a few of these out um, that jumped out to me that we missed, really, and I think there's a few on here that we probably should have picked. Um, so we'll go through mm. the obvious ones, is that we missed Stripe and SpaceX as things we were interested in. Um they were probably on valuation grounds. Um, we got uh, Lego that we missed, which would have come with a really pretty decent, you would assume come with a fairly decent valuation. We got uh, Bosch, Wush uh, the Bosch, obviously, Mickey Boiler. Bosch has got the hands in pretty much everything at the moment, especially in the hydrogen space. Um, and uh, vehicles, uh uh, HGVs and mm -hmm. stuff, that's their biggest news, isn't it? The and then just to run through the last few, we got um, Lidl and Aldi, um, which, again, we, we missed. They're, they're a funny setup, so I don't know how, how that actually counts. We got TransferWise, which, uh, unfortunately, I had to let the poster know. Uh, actually, IPO'd about a month ago. And uh, the last <laughs> one we got was from, uh, shout out to um, JKR uh, Investment Jacob. He came up with Nando's. Yeah. Um, Nando's is Nando. a nice idea. Nando's is a nice idea. My other idea would have been Mars, but hmm. uh, I wasted it talking about vegetables instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the company that I wanted to talk about is a really interesting IPO. Um, it's, it's all pretty much ready to ready to list on the LSC. Uh, it's Oxford Nanopore, which you probably will have heard of, but I'd be surprised if too many people know what it actually does. Um, I'll just give you some quick stats that I picked out of their, uh, their earnings report. Uh, revenue was up 22% to 59 million. That's on a half year basis. Uh, gross margins actually in the low 50 range, which is, which is, you know, it's nice to see a, a sort of semi tech, uh, company with margins like that going onto the LSE and not just dashing straight to the NASDAQ. But Oxford Nanopore, they make a DNA sequencing device. Um, uh, this year it's been used in, um, predominantly for basically tracking the variants and the changes in the coronavirus. Um, it's been used by 85 separate countries, um, and it's responsible for about 18% of all the data that we know about the coronavirus. So it's been a really big contributor to actually fighting the virus. Um, so what it basically is, it's a handheld device that allows scientists to sequence DNA, it creates pores in a synthetic material, which you can fit a single DNA molecule through, and then they pass a current through it, which analyze, helps them analyze it and helps them figure out exactly what that, you know, what that molecule is. Um, so it's pocket-sized, it's rapid results. So I, I did a little bit of research on this, and a sequencer is generally about the size of two filing cabinets sat next to each other. And Oxford Nanopore's version is about the size of a phone. So, whereas your filing cabinet can do what it does in about two days, um, oh, <clears throat> Oxford Nanopause version can do it in about 10 minutes. The caveat here is that while it's much faster, with everything that's much faster, it tends to be less accurate. Um, but it's still a really important uh, little tool. Um, the markets, you've got to think it's your typical stuff like research industry, pharma, things like food, um, Pretty much those kind of industries. Competition. I had a look, and it's pretty much Illumina. Um, Illumina is, a, I think, a sixty billion market cap off the top of my head. So it's a feral beast. Uh, in the UK, uh, Illumina trades as Selexa, uh, which is something it acquired. Um, uh, but crucially, oh, I didn't know uh, that Oxford Nanopore soaked that. up this year's uh, UK government contract. So, so fuck you, Selexa. 
Um, but yeah, so um, <laughs> I think with it, I would expect some real rocky periods on this. It's going to go live about four billion uh, is what we think. So by the time it gets to our hands, it'll be fourteen billion. Um, the issue I've got with it is, is that I think it's a really interesting business. While COVID is here, while it isn't, Oxford's got to find something else to do, and there'll be plenty of that in the UK, but there won't be the kind of revenues they're expecting at the moment. So I would say this is one of those ones for two quarters, probably two quarters after we're out. You know, we feel like we're fully out the side of COVID. Let that price come down on some fairly poor results, and then take a look at it. Mm. So the good and bad, the good and bad of this uh, that we've got. So um, it's the size of the the thing, uh, uh, which is which is a really really big thing because we're we're not just taking this device. So in humans, we've got them in a nice uh, environment, in a nice medical environment. We can take some blood out of them. We can put it into the big machine. We can look very closely at all of their d uh, DNA th uh, different sequencing wise. And I think Illumina is. Uh, a long sequencing chain device, which is also another big thing in uh, Lumina's favor in comparison to this one, which is a short sequencing device, uh, which is uh, the, in the genomics world. If you listen to Kathy Wood and things like that, she's very, very bullish on long sequencing rather than short sequencing. But she does say that it has its place in it. I think something like Lumina has its place in farming, uh, not Lumina, sorry, uh, the other one, Oxford, um, has its has its uh, place in farming and also in in uh, environmental features where you can kind of uh, take it to a water source or something. You can see bacteria and, and see the gene, genes uh, of the bacteria right at source. Fair enough, it's not as accurate. Uh, where does Intellia, Intellia is a British company, isn't it? Where does that fit into this? Because that's a short sequencing uh, company as well. I'm not sure they have a specific device um i don't know a lot the, about intellia the idea behind oxford Danapor is you basically you take that to the area first to see if it's worth putting on a long sequencer uh, and that's where it nah. tends to win out so it really is something that can sit in your pocket you can quickly check things they, they were saying that basically they they have managed to bring the cost of sequencing the whole the whole human body down to about five hundred dollars which, you know, considering where it used to be and the things you used to hear about, even things like lab-grown meat, you'd hear the vast majority of the cost was actually trying to figure out how to do it. Um, and, mm. and obviously all this information comes from companies like Oxford Nanopore and then obviously Illumina when you, uh, when you choose to use your filing cabinet. So um, I think it's a really interesting company. And I, I, it's exciting because it's British, I think, is, is one of the sort of key things. I, I was surprised yeah. it made it to market. It was always seemed like one of those companies that was just going to get acquired at some point because the LSE is cheap. They mm. have It's decent enough technology. It's a device. Um, you know, it's well regarded as well. It's spun out of um, Oxford University, so that's a, an interesting part. I think there's a few decent sized companies out of Oxford Uni. Steve, do you know any others off the top of your head? I don't know them off the top of my head, but I do know there's a lot of very good stuff going on in the enterprise division here. That's partly what speaks to my worry about it, but I, I'll i let you carry on for it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Oxford Nanopore's actually been going for 16 years as well, so it's got a fair old um, kind of like, like history behind it. It was spun up quite a, quite a long way ago. It's obviously been running on VC money, and it's just sort of mm. now getting to the sort of size where you might want to take a look at it. It's obviously going to be trading at, you know, pretty much 100 times revenue, essentially. Um so it's well it's probably not going to 50,000 revenue but it's it's still going to be uh, quite an interesting thing to keep an eye on I think and and if it goes the way of Deliveroo you might even get a day one bargain on it 
Yeah, if it goes the way of delivery, that'd be interesting to my mind. I mean, my slight worry, knowing the history of that company, is uh, so I do know the enterprise um, division at the university, and I know it's full of very, very good people with very, very good ideas in a lot of the kind of areas that we talk about, like um, improving farming, developing medicine for minority ethnic uh, custom, and that kind of thing. The issue with them is they're also very, very well connected to private investors. Uh, private investors know about them and are on top of them very early. So by the time they get to IPOing or anything like that, I do worry that this is possibly just providing liquidity for earlier rounds to get back out again. Mm. Uh, and that sort of worries me a little bit. I would probably let this settle down a little bit and see where it goes as it grows. The other thing is is what you were sort of alluding to earlier, glad you brought it up, was that the... Uh, British IPO market just isn't that hot right now, right? Mm. It's not as sort of hot. So then, like you say, maybe hold off this IPO and let it drop a, a bit. One of the things I thought about Nanopore, Oxford Nanopore in the future was that it's going to um, merge itself with a bit of how how we might uh, think about what we eat. So we're, we're very, very conscious about what we eat and the sources of it these days. And um, I can sort of imagine uh, people walking around with these tiny little devices where as, as the technology gets better and better. We, we, we have these little devices and we're going out to a meal or we've got one in our kitchens and we, we have this slab of lab-grown meat or even real meat uh, at the time. You know, we're talking 20, 20 years ahead here. And we can check the purity of our meat. We can check that it is Wagyu beef, or we can check that it is something elsewhere. It's, it's just one of the things, one of the, you know, the really far-reaching customer-related ideas that could be used for this um, this type of technology, not to mention, of course, like the medical versions of it as well. So I, I do actually see this technology. When um, Kathy Wood talks about genomics being the next big thing, I, I'm well behind that. I'm 100% behind that. I see this as, as of course, it's going to be the next part of our humanity, I think. But, again, it's the same story, isn't it? Which company is going to do it? Which company is going to be that number one Illumina-esque company that, that delivers? That is ultimate Karen, isn't That's... it? That's scanning, your, hmm. scanning your steak when it comes out and be like, this is only 94% <laughs> like you take it away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm quite sensitive to where my food comes from. I know it all comes from the Gusto HQ, and then it gets put in a box <laughs> and sent to... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Link in the description. <laughs> my god oh my god but yeah yeah you can take your gusto box and you can tell if they're tell if they're being uh, i thought we were gonna have to uh, shut the gusto box up our ass and what he was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i can see i can see uh the gusto box coming in and then you get your i don't know your leak out and then you scan it across the across the little uh Oxford uh, nanopore device, and then you go, oh, this one came from Brazil. Or, I don't know, leaks don't come from Brazil. They probably come from leak. Uh, <laughs> I thought they fairly famously came from Wales, don't they? <laughs> oh, do they? Oh, that's it, they're Wales, <laughs> and yeah. Um, and, and yeah, or, or something like that. And, you, and you'll see, like, you'll be able to you'll be able to tell where your food's come from, and, and it'll, you know, uh, hold companies into that. You could, loads of things, right? Cats, dogs. Um, you know, you can you can tell that you what, know what what you comes can... in your gusto boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna... I was I was holding up long enough to be one of you to to hard to make a good joke there. <laughs> oh, sorry to have let you down. <laughs> to be honest, was, I've never played was... with the more options button when I'm sucked in the meat. I didn't I didn't realise they were doing cat and dog. 
That's the Korean dishes. <laughs> oh dear, I wasn't going to go there. You went there this time, so that you can lose your job now. <laughs> oh well, back under five the subscribers we go. <laughs> All right, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you very much to everybody for listening today. Um, you can listen to us on the podcast uh, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, also, you can listen to this or watch this on YouTube. Hi, if you're watching this, by the way. Uh, leave us a comment. Uh, ask us a question. Um, we, we love answering the questions that go into the midweek footsie, which you can see. And, um, yeah, as ever, we'll see you next week. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up. <laughs>